So I had all these grandiose ideas of bringing on more guests before the end of the year and doing more news with Nigel segments. But honestly, with all of the holidays coming around and just trying to get the last few videos done that I need to get done this year, those ideas just kind of fell through the cracks. But I do know that in 2024, I'm going to have some great guests on and we're going to get kind of back on to the regular schedule. And I'm also going to stop doing seasons of the show. I'm just going to kind of start just numbering them. So I think right now I'm on episode, technically episode like 40 something because I've had two seasons and they're about 20 episodes each season, but I'm just gonna start numbering them just to make things easier. All right, so welcome back to the Long Lens Podcast. This is the podcast where I answer questions from my filmmaking community and just talk about YouTube and filmmaking. So. We're going to have another Q&A episode for December. And if you're new here, I do these every month. And basically, I just take your questions and try to answer them to the best of my abilities. So I go through Patreon questions and then questions from my YouTube community page. One of the perks of supporting me on Patreon is that you get your name read and your questions read first. And everyone on YouTube, I just read the questions. There's no name shout outs. So there's also a lot of other perks on Patreon. I've been doing some tutorials. I post behind the scenes stuff. So if you're interested in supporting this podcast, supporting my YouTube channel, shameless plug, you can go and support me over on Patreon. So let's just dive right into it. We have some pretty good questions this month. We're going to go on to Patreon first. And the first question comes from Jeff over at Sun Valley Drive Music. And he has a few. The first one is, if you could choose any YouTube photo slash filmmaker to interview for long lens who would it be uh right now it would probably be either like patrick tomaso i really like his stuff and i feel like him and i kind of have like the same viewpoints when it comes to like you know filmmaking and gear i think it'd be fun to talk with him but other than him i feel like lewis potts would be really fun to have on it would probably mostly just be me listening to what he has to say about lighting and trying to absorb all the knowledge that he has on lighting and, you know, commercial cinematography. So yeah, Lewis Potts, probably one of my favorite filmmakers slash YouTubers right now. And then of course, Patrick Tommaso, he's always fun to listen to. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, he has a lot of uh, really funny stuff that he posts on Twitter. All right. The second question from Jeff is what difference in approach would you take to color grade with the GH4 to what you recommended on the GH3 color grading tutorial. So what Jeff is referring to is I just released a color grading tutorial on how to do, you know, color grading on stuff that isn't shot in like log or a flat profile. So I did it on the GH3, which is just 8-bit. So Jeff is asking what I would do differently compared to a GH4. Well, I guess it would depend on what type of footage I was working with when it comes to the GH4. So if it was Cine D, that would be one thing because that's kind of a flat profile, but it's not log. And if it was V-log, that would be very different. V-log on the GH4, I feel like is only really usable in 10-bit. So it would have to have been recorded into a Atomos Ninja V or something like that to get the 10-bit out. For the most part, Cine D is what I would you know, typically record internally on the GH4. I feel like my approach would pretty much be the same. The only difference is I would probably work on the saturation and contrast first before I did all of the secondary adjustments because those things aren't going to be baked in to the footage in the same way that the GH3 stuff is. 
So I might do an entire tutorial on Cine D footage because I have a lot from the GH4. All right, the third question from Jeff is, do you always color grade as much as you did on the GH3 color grading tutorial or do you simply apply a LUT? Make a few tweaks and call it a day. I don't really apply a LUT most of the time to GH3 footage, but I do save a preset inside of Premiere that has all of my you know, my Lumetri color and I save all of the effects into a preset and then I can just kind of like drag and drop, especially if I know that it's all shot in like the same location. Lighting and color temperature in my office doesn't really change that much. So if I like the way that I've color graded some GH3 footage, I'll just save it as a preset. And then the next time I shoot more GH3 footage that looks similar, I can just drag and drop that preset on. I don't typically use LUTs on my GH3 footage all the time, but if I know that I'm gonna be switching back and forth from like Premiere and DaVinci, I'll color grade and save a LUT in DaVinci and then import it in Premiere so that I can get the same type of look that I got in Resolve. So yeah, typically, I save a preset, not a lot, because there's several things that I need to do to GH3 footage to get it to look the way that I want it to that you can't necessarily save in one LUT. Okay, the last question from Jeff is a pretty good one. Uh, Jeff asks, what is your advice for managing negative comments as a creator? It seems like a tough task to engage with your viewers positively and not lose your mind or get sucked into the haters or just bad incorrect information in a thread. Yeah, so... This is something that I feel like I dealt with a little bit more when I was first starting YouTube where, you know, you would get really bent out of shape when someone would leave like a really mean comment or something like that. But nowadays I have a pretty easy way of dealing with it. And that is I only look at comments on my YouTube videos within the first 48 hours. After that, there could be an entire debate going on in my comment section. I won't know. And I do that mostly because the people who comment in the first 48 hours are actual fans, I feel like. And so I wanna show them some love, respond to their comments, you know, read through them. If there is kind of a negative comment, I'll try to, you know, do my best to politely correct them if they're wrong. For instance, my latest video, I had a few people say that my lighting setup was a fire hazard, which is just completely false. They were saying that my Godox ML60 inside of the Fotex soft lighter is gonna catch on fire, which it won't. I've left that lighting setup on for an entire week at like on full blast and it hasn't even got hot enough to not touch. So they would be right if I was using a really hot light, but I wasn't, so they were wrong and I just politely corrected them. And I feel like as you grow as a filmmaker and you get better at what you do, it's the same thing as, I mean, I'm, this is gonna sound really cocky to say, but I, like, I'm not saying this to be arrogant or anything like that, but like if you looked at like a, professional soccer player like Messi. I always use skateboarding as a reference, but I'm gonna use soccer as a reference. Look at Messi or uh, you know, like Ronaldo or something like that. If you have some 13 year old kid say, hey, you suck at soccer. I don't think that their response is gonna be, hey, like, no, I don't, look at this. You know, they're not gonna argue with that kid or like get personally offended because that kid doesn't know what he's talking about. Like they are good at soccer. They are good at football, right? They're professionals in their field. They're not gonna like get, you know, bent out of shape because some 13 year old says that they suck. And I feel like in the same way, that's kind of how YouTube is. I'm never gonna get a comment from Peter McKinnon saying, hey, Nigel, your videos suck. You know what I mean? It's always gonna be from someone who's newer in their career than I am. 
it's very rarely going to be someone who's above me coming down and like throwing punches at me from a, a place of authority who he's like way better than me. You know what I mean? I'm probably not going to have like Lewis Potts come and tell me that I suck at filmmaking. If he did, I would take his criticism very seriously because I respect him as a filmmaker. But if it's some dude with a bunch of cat videos on his profile saying that I don't know what I'm doing, typically those comments don't even phase me anymore. And honestly, like maybe I do have haters, but again, unless they comment within the first 48 hours of my video, I'm never gonna see their hate comments. So if you're a true hater of my videos, make sure you comment in the first 48 hours. And if you do, I would question whether or not you're a hater and just kind of a secret fan, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, that's how I deal with it. In the first 48 hours, I'll respond to comments, I'll look at comments, but after that, it is very rare that you'll see me respond to a comment from a video from a year ago. I'll just, I typically never do it. You know, you do see your newest comments in the, the YouTube studio, but you know, I look at those sometimes. And I also, I take YouTube studio off my phone. So I don't have the, the temptation to look at any of the activity of the comments on my YouTube videos. But yeah, that's how I deal with it. Honestly, I feel like in the filmmaking world, there's probably a lot less haters. You know, there's a lot of people that they try to teach you something, like they like to feel like they're teaching you something. That's what I feel like a lot of people do. The idea that they know something that you don't really like, you know, gets them excited. And so they wanna like school you in a certain way. Those people are the people that you'll, you know, you'll find a lot more in the filmmaking space than you will actual haters. A lot of the times they're wrong. And my typical response is like, I'm impressed by how passionate you are about trying to teach me something. But that's typically the only thing that I'll respond with. Or if they're saying that, you know, my lights are going to catch on fire, I'll just say, no, you're wrong. If they were hot lights, you'd be right, but you're wrong. Sorry. Again, I feel like as I've grown in my YouTube career, the amount of hate comments that I deal with is a lot less because I, again, don't, I don't have the time to be arguing with people in my comment section. <laughs> so yeah, I hope that answers your question, Jeff. And the next and last question on Patreon is from CMR Joe. And Joe asks, what are your favorite settings with the GH4 when you had it? So yeah, I loved the GH4 when I had it. And what I would typically do is I would shoot in Cine D, you know, Cine like D. I would shoot in Cinema 4K just to get that little bit of extra resolution. I would set my shutter to 180, which is crazy that you can do a shutter angle on the GH4. And you know, there's, there's cameras like the FX3 and FX30 that don't do that. I would typically, yeah, just make sure that my white balance is set to whatever light I was shooting with. And that's basically it. When I had the GH4, I had the, the basic GH4 combo, which was the Metabones XL, you know, 0.64 speed booster because the GH4 crops in 4K. And then I had the Sigma 18 to 35. And honestly, still like that setup is such a good setup for what it is. I mean, you can get the GH4 for like three or 400 bucks nowadays. At that point though, you're gonna have to like say, well, why not just buy a GH5? <laughs> but yeah, those are my settings for the GH4 when I had it. I would just shoot in whatever the like lowest or native ISO was for the GH4, which I believe was 400 when you're shooting in Vlog L. Uh, but that was only if I was going to be doing external to an Atomos Ninja V. If I was shooting Cine D, I would just shoot the lowest ISO and only, you know, like only raise it up if I really needed it. But I would typically keep it under ISO 800 for the GH4 because that would give me the, the cleanest shadows. Those are all of the questions from Patreon. 
And now let's switch over to the YouTube community page. Are you tired of having the same generic music that every other YouTuber has? Well, you've got to check out Musicbed. Unlike other music licensing sites, Musicbed has actual artists like Josh Garrels, Ben Rector, Chapters, and so much more. I've been an ambassador for Musicbed since 2019, and I can't recommend it enough. So use the link in the show notes to get started with a Musicbed subscription today. Okay, so the first question from the YouTube community page is, favorite cheap lenses for Sony cameras? I haven't had a Sony camera in a really long time, but back when I did, I had the Sony a6000. I used the Rokinon primes that I really liked. I had the Rokinon 12mm f2, the 21mm f1.4, and the 50mm f1.2. Those are really good prime lenses. Nowadays, with how good Sony cameras are, I would probably get the Sigma 18-50 f2.8. That's just a small, really versatile zoom lens, and I love Sigma lenses, so that's probably what I would go for. But on the full frame end, I would probably get the 28-70. to I have that for my S5-2X, and I absolutely love it. So that would be my main lens that I would get, and then maybe the 16-28. to But yeah, the Sony G Master lenses are just really expensive. I couldn't really get myself to buy one of those just because they're so spendy. Uh, the next question is, hi Nigel, if you can choose only one lens for your Lumix X5 II for YouTube content, which one would you pick and any particular reason? Thank you very much. Yeah, so I would probably go with the Sigma 28-70, which is what I have right now. 28 millimeters is more than wide enough for most of the stuff that I do, and 70 is a great portrait focal length. So yeah, 28-70 by Sigma, that's a great lens, and again, it's for L-mount or E-mount, so I would highly recommend that one really sharp and it's dust and splash resistant which i really like all right the next question is i have two questions hopefully you can answer first question is i have the s5 ii and i have a problem getting a sharper image i'm not sure if i'm uploading or exporting or a setting i'm missing in in the camera but i always nail focus please help Okay, so for that question, I would make sure that you're shooting with the proper autofocus settings. Tyler Stallman did a really good video on how to set up your S5 II, and I set up mine basically similar, so go and watch that video for sure. As far as export settings, you gotta make sure that you're exporting in 4K. You wanna make sure that you choose a constant bitrate instead of a variable one, because a variable bitrate will make it less sharp when you play it back. So choose a constant bitrate. It's gonna take a lot longer to export, but it'll give you a much better looking video in the long run. So yeah, make sure that you're using a constant bitrate, which is CBR and not a variable bitrate, which is VBR. So the other question that they ask is, I'm starting to shoot these kind of short spec films, but since I'm on a budget, I need a good place to find music and sound for sound design, any cheap places you would recommend? Yes, I would say go look at Epidemic Sound or Audio, that is with two eyes, A-U-D-I-I-O. And I think I actually have a discount code for Audio, which I'll try to put in the show notes of this episode. Epidemic Sound is good, Audio is good. I use both for music and sound effects. If you want the highest quality music though, I would definitely say go to Musicbed. I'm an ambassador for Musicbed, so I really got to shout them out. They have the best music you'll ever find. It is more expensive. I know you're on a budget, but if you want your films to sound like they're really high budget, I would say Musicbed is the way to go. All right, this next question is, what are your goals for the new year? My goals for 2024 are to actually work on set a little bit more. My goals this year were just to make more stuff and I'm actually gonna be releasing like a little, it's not really a demo reel, it's just kind of like a channel reel of all the stuff that I've made over the past two or three years because I haven't put out a channel reel in a while. I really wanna like be on set more and do more either paid or just unpaid work just so I can kind of like get a feel for the different types of cinematography that are out there 
and what I actually want to do more of. Obviously, I love being a YouTuber, but I want to try to get on set more and have some more on-set experience. So that's what I'm going to try to do. When I worked as an intern back in 2012 for a production company, it was for a YouTube channel. So like I worked for a big YouTube channel, and that's really like how I learned you know, filmmaking was like how to make YouTube videos essentially. And I want to like get more onset experience of like commercials and stuff like that. So I can get a little bit more into that realm because I like the idea of shooting commercials. So the next question is, I saw you got one of the seven artists in cine lenses. Have you tried the spectrum lineup? I recently got the 50 millimeter and it's really nice to shoot with. Yeah, I have not tried the spectrum lineup of cine lenses, but I would like to. But the, you know, the seven artisan lens was really good for how cheap it was. All right. This next question is best camera, best lens and best accessory of 2023. Okay. Um, best camera. I got to give it to the S5 2X. I just think that for 2,200 bucks, which it's getting even cheaper now, which is crazy. Like I think it's under $2,000, at least in the used market, which is just insane for what the S5 2X can do. That's definitely best camera of the year, in my opinion. Best lens? Uh, I haven't really been hip to all the new lenses that come out just because, you know, for the most part, I don't really get any new lenses. Honestly, I don't know. I can't really give you, I'm just gonna say the Seven Artisans 25 mil as best lens for 2023. That's the only one that I can think of that may have come out this year, but I honestly don't know. And best accessory? of 2023 honestly probably i don't know if it came out this year or not i think it did the oc lilmon 5 i love that monitor it works so well has so many features and it's a thousand nits and it's 189 bucks brand new so yeah that's my favorite accessory not 100 sure if it came out in 2023 but yeah let's go with that that's probably my favorite monitor used it recently on a shoot and it just works so well got LUTs that you can put into it. I put some of my, my vlog LUTs right onto there and I can preview what it looks like. It's great. Next question is got any trips, goals, or big plans for the new year? Not any like big trips. I'm going to Texas again to visit my wife's family in January. And as far as plans, my biggest plan is just to continue to grow this channel and hopefully just start saving up for a house my wife and i are renting a house right now which is great it's you know it's a pretty big house and we're happy with it but we want to get to a place where we can eventually buy our own piece of property or our own house so that's just going to be my main goal is just to keep growing my business keep saving up and hopefully have kids one day uh, those are the only like real goals that we have for the future but yeah go to texas gonna be just building the business and trying to do more cool work here on youtube that's basically what I got going on. All right, the next question is, you've had the S52X now for a while. Is it living up to your expectations and how is the AF shaping up? Yes, it's definitely living up to my expectations. It is the one camera that got me to switch out from using the GH3. And honestly, guys, like if you watch any of my newest videos, 90% of the stuff that I shoot with the S52X is in 1080p. It's in ProRes 422 1080p. The autofocus works amazing it still looks good, like 1080p looks amazing still on the S52X, and it's great. It plays back like buttery smooth on my editor, and the AF works perfectly fine. I'm not gonna say that it's as good as Sony, it's not. You still wanna make sure, monitor it to make sure that it's not, you know, like drifting to something else, but I used it on a pretty recent project where I just had a subject in the middle of the frame, 
and they moved around a bunch and it just stuck onto their face. So it works perfect for like interview, you know, type situations like that. So have you been wanting to get that film look without spending hours in the color grading tab? Film Convert Nitrate is the easiest way to add film stocks and grain to your digital footage. With support for almost every camera on the market today and with most non-linear editing programs, Film Convert Nitrate makes it easy to color grade your videos like a pro. I've been an ambassador for Film Convert for a while now and I use Film Convert Nitrate on almost every single video that I make. So check out the link in the show notes for 10% off your purchase of Film Convert Nitrate or City Match. All right, the next question isn't really a question, it's more like a statement. The most inexpensive and versatile lens for Panasonic L is the 50mm f1.8, thank you. I don't know if I would necessarily agree with that. 50 millimeters is a great focal length, but I probably wouldn't buy that lens because I don't know, I would wanna get a different focal length. I like 35 a little bit more than 50, but as far as like the Panasonic L primes, I'd probably want like the 18 F1.8 for like my talking head stuff. I feel like that would probably be a pretty cool wide angle with a you know really low aperture. That one seems cool. All of those Panasonic primes are relatively inexpensive. All right, next question is, is video making your full-time job? Have you got any tips on how to get started? Yes, making videos is my full-time job. And the only tip that I can really tell you that's gonna get you the furthest is make sure that you actually love doing it because if you don't, you'll stop. Here's another reference to skateboarding because I made one to soccer, now I'll make one to skateboarding again. It's a lot like skateboarding in the fact that like, if you are only doing it because you wanna be really good and make a bunch of money, you're probably not gonna stick with it very long. It's hard and it takes a long time to get good and you're gonna suck at first. And if you're not willing to deal with those facts, then you're probably not going to make it very far in this industry. If you accept the fact that you're gonna suck for a really long time, and even when you've been doing it as long as I have, you still have to accept the fact that you suck at a lot of things. You just have to be okay with it and just be eager to keep on learning and get better. Most of the people that think that they are really good at filmmaking have typically stopped learning at some point and they're just stuck doing the exact same thing over and over again and they're not actually improving. So just make sure that you actually love it. Like I actually love skateboarding and I've been doing it for 24 years of my life now. I don't make any money off of it. It hurts me. It's kind of expensive to do. Skateboards can be expensive sometimes when you break them. I just love doing it and that's why I've stuck with it for such a long time and that's why I am as good as I am is because I actually love doing it. So that's like the biggest piece of advice that I could give you is just you know, like make sure that you actually love doing it. If your motives are I want to make money or I want to be famous, you're going to get really discouraged and you're going to quit. That's what I've seen with a lot of people that have wanted to go into the film industry or, you know, trying to make it on YouTube. That's the biggest pitfall is they go into it with the wrong mindset. Make sure you actually love doing it. All right, next question from the same person. How do you stay motivated to make content? I swear I must have ADHD or something. I can't get myself rolling with videos that I really want to make. Yeah, so that kind of goes back to what I you know, just said about their last question was you just have to really love doing it. I've been uploading on YouTube since 2006. I just really love doing it. I love sharing the stuff that I learn and I love making stuff and it's just really fun. Even if my channel never blew up like that, I would still be doing it to this day just because I love doing it. So, and don't be a perfectionist, like make something. It probably won't be as good as you envisioned it in your head. Just put it out there, learn from it and go on to the next one. Completed is better than perfect. So that would be what I have to say to that. All right, next question is, 
I watch all your videos and I've noticed this from many of your last videos that in your ending, you start saying something and then you cut to black slash ends. I wanna know the reason for that. Well, that's just like a gag that I started doing because I really like shows like Parks and Rec and The Office, and they have what you would call cold opens. You start the episode seeing like this crazy scenario, and then right as something funny or exciting happens, they just cut to the intro of the song, and it's like this cold cut. I've always just really loved that because it like adds a little bit more of a punch to what you're watching. So I think about a year ago, I thought, why don't I do that with my endings? Like I'll start saying something, but I'll just I'll cut myself off and just you know like roll my outro i always just thought that was funny so that's kind of how i wanted to incorporate it into my own videos as long as it you know keeps people like wondering like why does he do that like and then they start to look for it in like my other videos i think that's kind of a funny little thing to do on my channel so next question is what do you want for christmas but for real honestly i don't really want anything for christmas it's not that i don't like receiving gifts it's that i don't know i just feel like i don't need anything like there are things that I want, but I would never ask someone for, you know what I mean? You know, if it was like Elon Musk asking me what I wanted for Christmas and he would just buy anything I want, you know, give me an Aria Alexa mini, give me a couple Flanders monitors, a couple really specced out MacBook, you know, there's like insanely expensive things that I could ask for, but realistically, I don't like asking for things except for like socks or like boring stuff. Why did you sell your G85? What are your thoughts on that camera and which camera could be a good upgrade without spending a lot of money? Yeah, I love the G85. I did an entire video on it. If you wanna go check that out. I essentially sold it because even though the G85 is a great camera for like people who just always wanna have a camera on them, you know, like travel people, you know, if you wanna start making like a vlog type thing, the G85, it's got some limitations as it comes to like a professional tool you know there's the whole hdmi out thing where it crops in even more which i have always hated if the g85 didn't have that hdmi crop thing i would probably use it more because i like using a monitor i probably would have it as like a, a b camera or something like that but that whole hdmi crop just frustrates me uh, as far as an upgrade to the g85 i would say the gh5 is a perfect upgrade the gh5 used is probably six or seven hundred bucks and you're probably paying 400 bucks for the G85. So a couple extra hundred bucks, you can get a GH5 and it'll be a much better camera for you. So the last question for this episode is, do you prefer a set of primes like 24, 35, 50 or one zoom paired with a one prime, 50 millimeter equivalent? I'm a micro four third shooter, GH5 currently, and been through all the phases, I guess, including the 18 to 35 always in between. Now I'm pushing into the TT Artisan lineup of primes and giving them a try. I love the 17 already. Yeah, so for Micro Four Thirds, I always feel like it's good to have like a mixture of both. I do like the 12 to 35 for like most things. 2.8 on the 12 to 35 isn't super shallow. So having prime lenses is good, like the 17 millimeter TT Artisans. I love that lens, it's great. On the full frame, I really like the 28 to 70 and I have that on for most things like events or documentary type stuff or YouTube. If I'm doing more narrative type stuff, then I might want some primes. Uh, Panasonic does have a set of primes for the S series that are really good, but in my opinion, I would almost rather go the vintage route just to get some cheap primes that I can use when I want a little bit more character. But yeah, the Sigma 18 to 35 on the GH5 is a really killer combo with the Metabone Speed Booster and then getting some vintage primes to accompany that Metabone Speed Booster if you just want some like smaller primes to shoot with. But the 18 to 35 is a pretty killer combo. 
you know, you put like a black satin or glimmer glass or black pro mist on the front of that, you can get a little bit more halation than the highlights and stuff. But uh, Spencer Sakurai actually did a pretty good video on gear. Uh, you should go watch it. It's about him basically talking to his friend about the different types of gear and what he actually uses on most of his paid commercial work. And he says that like the majority of the time, clients like the 18 to 35, you know what I mean? It's filmmakers who care more about like the vintage aesthetic and stuff like that. He says he has a set of like the, you know, the, the K35 FD equivalent, you know, lenses that like he rarely ever uses on paid shoots. Most of it is 18 to 35 or other clean lenses. You know what I mean? If you still have the 18 to 35, it's a great thing to keep. But as far as the TT Artisan lenses, those kind of give you the best of both worlds. At wide open, they do give you a little bit of softness and kind of a vintage look. You stop them down to F2, they all look pretty clean. So yeah, the TT Artisan lenses are great for what they are. The only thing I don't like about them is their very weird shape. So that was the last question for this Q&A episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Big thanks to everyone who submitted a question. Again, big thanks to my Patreons. Again, if you'd like to check out any of the stuff that I talked about, it'll be linked in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you all next time. Later. Later.